0: Well, the kids right now are invited to their program. Thanks so much, team, for setting us up here. I want to just give a, a brief shout-out to the hidden people in the back that are that are always faithfully at, uh, at the booth. They're doing the sound and doing the the slides and coming early and being behind the scenes and trying, trying very hard not to be noticed, so sorry about that part. But um, we could actually use a couple more people on, on uh, running the slides. So if you have any uh, interest in that, um, learning how that works, then go ahead and, and just let us know. Contact the office or, or tell me or, or just tell Adriana. She's back there right now. Say, hey, I, I want your job when I grow up. So uh, just uh, try to slip in a, a little announcement there real quick. Are you enjoying the rain we've been having? It's nice, huh? It's, it's nice unless you ride a motorcycle. Uh, I don't know if you've ever ridden in the rain. Uh, I had a motorcycle for a little while, and this, uh, this guy in our church, he was kind of this old biker, and big old grizzly beard, and he, he rode. He and his wife met in a biker bar. It's just a funny story. Um, but he, I said something about riding in the rain. He's like, yeah, you, you ride a special way in the rain. I'm like, what's that? You ride with the hair standing up on your neck. So that was his... That was his thing. This is a picture. This isn't actually my bike, but this is the bike I had when we were first married, the KZ1000. It was already old when I, I got it, um, and uh, it was pretty fun to, to ride. You should have seen uh, Heather drive it, which is pretty entertaining. Um, so I had it uh, only a few months. I got it at this uh, like a bike repair shop, and, and, uh, and they sold used bikes. And uh, I only had a few months, and it was having these problems, so I thought, well, I'd take it in to see if they could figure out what's wrong with it. So they started it up, they listened to it, they took a look at it, and, uh, and the mechanic said, you know, how long have you had this bike? I'm like, well, I just bought it a few months ago. He's like, oh, I think whoever sold it to you, they just put gear oil in the motor oil to make it sound quieter so you can't tell what's wrong with it. I'm like, that would be you. Uh, he, did, he didn't realize that I bought the bike from them. So... Uh, uh, it was a real awkward moment, uh, and uh, I honestly don't remember how all that resolved, but uh, anyway, he spoke uh, too soon. And uh, so I tell a story because it doesn't feel good to be uh, duped, <laughs> to be uh, deluded, uh, but the worst kind of uh, being mis- misled or the worst kind of being deluded is when we delude ourselves <laughs> and we, we fool ourselves. Uh, and here's a... Way this often happens is, is our lives are out of sync with God. We're doing our own thing, and we try so hard to convince ourselves, uh, "Well, this isn't that bad. <laughs> uh, what's the worst that could happen?" And we just kind of carry on, and we go through great effort to convince ourselves that all is okay, instead of expending that same effort to um, to turning back to God <laughs> and to turning our hearts toward Him to correcting. Our course, and so we live uh, with this uh, with this sense of false hope. We're deluded, and so that is our um, our main idea today. If you're following along in your notes, is that false hope disappoints. That's what we will learn this morning. Eventually, we do reap what we sow. And I think all of us have kind of different ways that we like to uh, delude ourselves, <laughs> different ways we try to convince ourselves that everything's okay when it's not. And in the book of Ezekiel, uh, he gives us several uh, great correctives, several great little messages that kind of burst our little delusional uh, bubbles about uh, about the way we're living. And and how he does this is first he, he acts out these two sort of... Uh, uh, enacted parables, you might say, as we've grown accustomed to Ezekiel doing kind of you know, curious things. And then he gives these five messages from God that address uh, false hope. And they're actually the same kind of messages that we need to hear today when we sort of delude ourselves into thinking everything's okay when it's, when it's not, really. So we will be uh, continuing our series in Ezekiel. We'll start in uh, chapter 12 today, and we'll kind of look at... Um, at least portions of chapter 12, 13, and 14. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today um, or you don't have it on your device, there should be some Bibles in the pew in front of you. That um, This is on page 699 in those pew Bibles. If, if you just don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one, by the way. Just stop by the welcome table and we'd be happy to give you a Bible if you don't, if you don't have one for yourself as well. So Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 1 starts like this. The word of the Lord came to me. Uh, This is Ezekiel speaking. And the word of the Lord said, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, who have eyes to see, but they see not. Who have ears to hear, but they hear not, for they are a rebellious house. So the the basic problem is these people were rebellious. You know, they were stubborn hearted, um, closed minded. They just refused to change, even though um, it had been pointed out to them uh, where they needed to change. And it says they had ears to hear, but not hear. So um, they had no lack of revelation from God, but they had the lack of a response to that revelation. They, they had ears. It was all right there to hear. It was all right there to see, but they would not see it, and they would not hear it. And so specifically in, in their case, the problem was uh, that instead of humbling themselves before God, they kept holding out this hope that uh, their great city of Jerusalem and their temple would stand, and that would ultimately be their, their salvation. You know, they would get to return home from exile, and everything would be okay. And they didn't really have to have this real heart adjustment, and they continued on in this state. So, <coughs> excuse me. So Ezekiel acts out these little object lessons. He plays charades with the people. It's kind of fun, and uh, and the exiled leaders would come and watch him do these things and say, what is Ezekiel going to do next? So here, first uh, charades with Ezekiel, he acts out the failed escape. This is in the first half of uh, chapter 12. What happens is, in the daytime, Ezekiel, he packs this exile bag, and uh, and then he leaves as if he's being led to exile. So he grabs his belongings together, he collects them up while everyone's watching, throws it on his back, and heads off as if he's heading off into exile. And the people would all understand what that meant because he's talking to exiles They're like yeah, yeah yeah this this happened we understand that and then and then as evening came he comes and he continues his charade he digs a hole in the wall of his house which uh obviously his house wasn't built like most of the houses you're in it's a house that you could dig a, a hole in and uh and he grabs his baggage through that hole and he flees with his head covered or his face covered and so he, he enacts this out before the people, and. Uh, and they're wondering okay yeah we understand exile cuz we're all exiles and uh but but what are you doing well the thing is this wasn't about their exile look at verse uh, picking up in verse 10 who this oracle concerns it says this this oracle actually concerns the prince in Jerusalem so ezekiel always calls the um the the king so to speak he calls him a prince because he's really just the sort of the puppet king of of Babylon, um, Zedekiah. But anyway, this oracle concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are in it, like all the people who live there. Say, I am a sign for you as I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall go into exile, into captivity, and the prince who is among them shall lift his baggage upon his shoulder at dusk, and he shall go out. They shall dig through the wall to bring him out through it. He shall cover his face, that he may not see the land with his eyes. And I will spread my net over him, and he shall be taken in my snare. And I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he shall not see it, and he shall die there. So the exiles are holding out this false hope in Jerusalem. And uh, Ezekiel acts out this thing to show them, no, no, Jerusalem will fall. All the inhabitants, everybody who lives there are going to be, you know, swept up in this thing. And the prince the puppet king, Zedekiah, he will attempt an escape, but he'll be captured and taken to Babylon, but he won't see Babylon. Well, how in the world do you get captured and taken to someplace without seeing it? Well, we see the fulfillment of this. Uh, it's, the whole story is explained in Second in Kings. It's just horrible. They actually capture him, just, just like all this uh, predicted, and, uh, and they gouge his eyes out and then take him to Babylon. So he does not see the city. So this all gets fulfilled. So Ezekiel acts this thing out to show them that oh, this is a false hope that ultimately you know, your city is going to you know, come to your rescue because they will all be taken. And so he acts out this charades, and he, he says, you know, it's, it's three words. First word is four syllables, and they're trying to guess what? Jerusalem will fall. Oh, okay, we get it. Jerusalem's going to fall, and then he does this next charade, which we'll call uh, "fearful eating." Now, uh, my grandfather was one of uh, twelve or thirteen kids; he's he's youngest, and uh, even till his um, his last days, he would eat with one arm like around his food, like this. Or I don't know which one. He kind of eat like this. It was all casual, like he didn't mean anything by it, but, but you could tell he grew up like protecting his plate, you know, fearful eating. Um, but, but this takes it to another level where Ezekiel's acting out. Um, you know, he's being afraid, looking over his shoulder while he's eating. He's doing this for all to see. Uh, verse 18 says, This is God tells him, he says, Son of man, eat your bread with quaking and drink water with trembling and anxiety. So eat this very simple meal in terror. And he explains, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all the towns of Judah, they will live in terror when they come under siege. So he says, how about this charade? This one is also three words. And again, the first, syllable, the first word is four syllables. And guess what? It's the same. Jerusalem will fall. So he acts these out for uh, all the, the elders there. Why didn't they just humble Themselves and turn their hearts to God and fall on His mercy. They were just rebellious in their hearts, like we tend to be. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. so I've heard that, I've heard that, but we don't really want to fall on God's mercy. We don't really want to have a change of heart. We don't really want to have a change of course, and we delude ourselves into thinking that um, that it's all just kind of going to be okay. It'll all sort of Work out, And so, Ezekiel gives five messages from God to challenge those excuses we might have and uh, that challenge these five delusions. And the first one is this. We're deluded when we think, nothing truly bad will come of my sin. After all, nothing's happened yet. <laughs> this is kind of what the people were saying. Verse 22 of chapter 12 It says, son of man, what's this proverb that you hear about the land of Israel? Everyone's going around saying, the days grow long, and every vision comes to nothing. This was a proverb. Or you might paraphrase it like this. Doom, doom, the people say, but nothing happens anyway. So, you know, God's prophet comes and he says, you guys have to stop doing this. You have to turn your hearts back to God. And they're like, yeah, you keep saying this, but nothing really happens. And they just carry on. Verse 25 says, uh, the response is, For I am the Lord, I will speak the word that I will speak, and it will be performed. It will no longer be delayed, but in your days, O Rebellious House, I will speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord God. So the people are all going around saying, doom, doom, the people say, but nothing happens anyway. And God says, oh, I got a better proverb. Time's up. You know, it's succinct, it's real catchy, and uh, this is how it really is. So this proverb will replace your previous one. So uh, in the New Testament, we see this same scenario. And we see people um, saying, well, God said that Jesus is going to come back, but it's been an awfully long time, and things are just kind of happening as they've always happened and they start to doubt it, and there's there really going to be consequences for the way I live, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's predicted that that's what people will do, and of course we see people doing that. Um, in, uh, in Peter's uh, epistle, 2 Peter 3, people are questioning if Jesus will really return. It says in verse 3, uh, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Well, because that's what scoffers do. <laughs> yep. And they are following their own sinful desires. They'll say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, that means they died, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. <laughs> Just Hey, nothing's really going to change. It's going to be okay. When we say nothing truly bad will happen because of my sin, uh, because nothing's happened yet, uh, we're deluded. <laughs> it's like playing you know, Russian roulette. It's like, well, I uh, put one round in, I gave it a good spin, Every time I pull it, the trigger, nothing happens, so I must be fine. And that's what it's like when we just continue our course, when God gives warning after warning. It's really a scary place to be. And this is the kind of message that Ezekiel brings to the people who are uh, self-deluded. Well, well, others you know, are fully aware that God uh, uh, ultimately will wrap everything up and deal with people as they deserve, but we just get in our mind that that's so far off that it's irrelevant. And so this second delusion is, uh, nothing truly bad will come of my sin, at least not anytime soon. <laughs> it's the, the high school student that thinks, well, I'll, I'll uh, just kind of sow my oats now. Well, a high school student would never use that terminology. But, um, but they say, I'll just do my, my whatever I do now, and eventually I'll come back and get right uh, with God. Or, or the young married, or, or whatever stage you are, you could always think of a reason like, oh, well, I'm going to get right with God later. Verse 27, chapter 12. Son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say, the vision that he sees is for many days from now, and he prophesies of times that are way off. Therefore, say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be delayed any longer, but the word that I speak will be performed, declares the Lord God. So, we run around saying, in distant future, I guess we'll die, but that's way off. Why even try? And God says, wait, I got one for you. Time's up. Same one. And that's what he tells to the people. This is going to happen in your day. And kind of jumping back and forth to Second Peter, uh, this great passage says uh, in verse 9, The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise. That's not what's happening here as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you. That's what's happening. <laughs> Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, a thief doesn't call up ahead and warn you, like, hey, how about next Thursday I'll come and rob you. Uh, no, the point is that it comes unexpectedly like a thief. So the only reason... That we've not reaped yet what we sow is because God's patient with us, not because he's indifferent or unable to do something about it. So it's really terrible when we misinterpret God's patience for indifference. We can't cling to that false hope that uh, nothing will happen, at least not anytime soon. Okay, so uh, Ezekiel sorry. His third message, I abbreviate in my notes, but then sometimes I forget to, abbreviate, to not abbreviate when I say it. So third message, nothing truly bad will come of my sin, the experts agree. So this is another way we kind of delude ourselves, and he, and he goes into kind of at length on this topic. All of chapter 13 is talking about the so-called prophets, you know, the experts, the spokespeople for God, uh, verses 1 to 16 talks about false prophets, and then... 17 to 23, he addresses the prophetesses. So these false prophets, they claim to speak for God, but really what's happening, uh, let's leave, verse 2, they prophesy from their own hearts. And in verse 3 it says, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit, and they have not seen anything. They, they are not relaying uh, revelation from God. Something God told them. Something God's written down. They're just just uh, pulling the stuff out of their own hearts, out of their own head, out of their own spirit, and passing it on. And people were lining up to hear them because what they said was we're real easy to uh, receive. And then in verse seventeen to twenty-three, he starts addressing specifically this group of prophetesses, quote unquote. Lots of quote unquotes because really they were more like, more like witches. They were um, using divining and these, um, these superstition and rituals to try to uh, get information for the people. And people would come and, and hear from them because what they told them was real easy to take. <laughs> it required no, no change of heart, no change of course, and people were drawn to them. So God says, Stop trusting in false hope. Repent and trust me. And the false prophets say, Uh, You have nothing to worry about. You have no need to really change. It's going to be fine. When we don't like what God says, we have no shortage of people who can give us an answer that we like better, especially now that we have uh, Google, you know. Well, I don't really like what you know. this looks like it means in this passage, so I'm going to go find somebody who says it means something that I like, and then I can just dismiss it and I can just carry on. Somebody with a PhD or somebody who's seen a vision or somebody who wrote a book or has a seminar or pastors a church, whatever it might be, we can easily go find somebody that will give us an easier message than what the plain Bible says. The experts say, well, don't worry about the icebergs. Sleep well, have a drink. This is the Titanic, after all. It's no big deal. You'll be just fine. And when they're deluded to think nothing truly bad will come of my sin, because all the experts agree, you're going to be fine. Okay, fourth message. I'm trying to squeeze a lot of points in today because, uh, well, Ezekiel makes a lot of points. Uh, message four. It, we're deluded when we think that nothing truly bad will come of my sin if I keep it private. <laughs> how, how crazy that is, but how common. Um, now we are jumping into the next chapter, of 14. Let's see, pick it up in verse 3. It says, Son of man, these men, speaking of the elders, the leaders, they've taken their idols into their hearts, and they set a stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? So these uh, leaders were coming to get spiritual counsel from um, from the man of God, um, but at the same time they were har- harboring these secret uh, idolatry. They're they're holding idols in their hearts, worshiping other things, and yet they wanted this help from God. Like ah, I need some I need some advice here. I need to know how this whole thing's gonna pan out. I need to I need God help me figure this situation out. But I also want to hold on to my my sin idols in the hearts and the thought was as long as our sin is secret or private then then all is well i mean when we actually say that out loud we realize how ridiculous that is but that's the way we tend to convince ourselves we approach god well i have this problem i don't know what to do and god says oh that's easy here's what to do verse 6 repent and turn away from your idols (laughs) turn your faces away from all your abominations stop Stop worshiping other things. Stop putting, like, filthy things in front of your face. Stop doing these things, even if, it's, even if it's all secret, and then try to come and get help from the Lord. I was just thinking about the, the so-called uh, seven deadly sins, and I think you could do at least six of them without even, uh, without even uh, acting out. You know, I can't figure out how you could be a glutton without acting out. But the rest of them could all be just in your head, in totally private. Uh, Lust, greed, pride, envy, wrath, sloth. We could hide all these things really well. And so we're still deluded when we think that nothing bad will happen just because I keep it private. (laughs) Okay, fifth message. Are you still with me here? It's a lot of points and it's also a hard message. So, um, thanks for sticking around. So, fifth, you're deluded if you think nothing truly bad will come of my sin for the sake of the godly. So, let me explain. Verses, uh, or chapter 12, chapter 14, verses 12, uh, and the rest of the chapter. Uh, God brings this kind of hypothetical scenario. He says, If a group of people turn away from me and then I bring famine. On them, because they turned away from me. Even if Noah and Daniel and Job, like these super saints, even if they were among the people, their righteousness would only save themselves, but not this whole, uh, not the whole group of people. And then he says again, "Okay, now what if uh, these people turned away from me, and I sent wild beasts? Not even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were among them." Would they be saved? They'd only save themselves. Okay, what if I brought the sword, you know, war to them? And same scenario. Okay, what if I brought a plague on them because they all turned away from me? Uh, And even if Noah, Daniel, and Job, you know, you repeat this whole scenario four times. They says, but here's what's really happening. Verse 21. How much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four disastrous acts of judgment, all of them at once, sword, famine, wild beasts, and pestilence, to cut it off, man and beast. So, he's like, what's really going to happen is you're going to get all four at once, and the, the city's not going to be spared just because of uh, of a few righteous people. A really, really hard word. And I was thinking, uh, for some of us, maybe our life hasn't totally fallen apart yet because of the prayers of a grandmother, <laughs> or the the godliness of our spouse, or A righteous friend that's kind of, you know, taking us under their wing. And uh, we think, well, I'm just going to kind of piggyback on their righteousness, and things will be okay. Um, And Ezekiel says, no, it doesn't work that way. Ezekiel's just passing on what God told him. Ultimately, it turns out that you are accountable before God. (laughs) I am accountable before God. In fact, In this whole book of Ezekiel, uh, there are a lot of strange things, as I've mentioned, and a lot of hard things. But a theme that's all throughout is individual responsibility. We're all accountable uh, before God. And there is a definite, like, uh, hard part of that, and also a, oh, thank the Lord part of that. Because, uh, uh, you know, you're not really responsible for my sin, and I'm not responsible for your sin. That's the great part of it. But we all are responsible for. Our own sin. It's so a one by one, Ezekiel bursts these little bubbles of the things we hang on to that kind of lets us keep just continuing down this path that's really destructive. And he just wants to shake us. No, ultimately, that's terrible for you. Ultimately, that's destruction. Ultimately, it's just destroying the relationship with your creator. Don't keep doing that. Don't keep convincing yourself. That it's all fine. And so he pushes us toward this, uh, this moment of decision, decision. We can trust a delusion and cling to our sin. That's one option. <laughs> trust a delusion and cling to our sin. Or our, our challenge today is to trust God and cling to him. Believe him. Take him at his word and embrace him and hold on to him so tightly. And uh, that's that's Ezekiel's message to uh, the exiles in in Babylon, and it's uh, it's my message for for you and for me uh, today here in Cambria. And it's a message uh, it's a message that's hard, but it's a message of of life. It's a message from the Lord. As the team comes back up, let me let me pray for us. Lord God. Uh, I'm thankful that you, you give us the little gift of warnings <laughs> that, uh, that have the potential to wake us up out of our, out of our delusions and, and really come um, just falling back into your arms. I'm so thankful that you are uh, the father to the prodigals that, that embraces us when we come running to you. Even if we've wandered really far, we can come back to you. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning if there's uh, people in this room, and I imagine this size of group, there's, there's maybe several who are just kind of stuck in, in a destructive path that is not in line uh, with your best. It's not in line with your word. It's not aligned with, aligned with your heart. And, uh, and they are just carrying on that way, not really considering the seriousness. I pray that you would just draw them back to yourself this morning. That all of us would just, just run into your gracious arms. Thank you, Lord, for giving us that opportunity. In Christ's name, amen.